Wives, be subject to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Wives and women, how is the subjecting, submitting journey going? Hmm? If you've been here over the past few weeks, we've been preaching through Galatians and Colossians. And uh, a few of us, ministry staff, we, we just could not leave Colossians without talking about Colossians 3.18. Because I think it's an important uh, passage to reflect on, but also to talk about as Canadian Baptists. Because we are egalitarian. And so we read that scripture in a different way than maybe different Christians who might lean more conservative than Canadian Baptists. And so I, I... in your bulletin, there's a couple of perspectives on egalitarianism that I found online this week. Now, there are hundreds and thousands of quotes on egalitarianism, but I thought these two were pretty interesting in that they just, they're just a little bit different from each other, and I don't know uh, for sure which one you would gravitate towards, but by the end of my preaching, teaching moment here, you'll know where I play my cards. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the first one, basically, the overall arc of the biblical story is from creation to new creation. In Jesus, the new creation has begun to break into this present age. That means that we who follow Christ must alter our views of all earthly categories that characterize this fallen world. And then it goes on to talk about Galatians 3.28 where Paul says the old categories simply no longer apply in the same way they did before. And this person believes that the ideal situation is full partnership of men and women in the service of God's kingdom. The second quote leans a little different. To be egalitarian is to simply believe that all humans are equal in value and should have access to the same opportunities. Of course, as Christians, with some nuance, we can agree with that. All of us are made in God's image and are equal in value and worth. But as Christians, we also know that we cannot be egalitarian when it comes to how men and women should function in society, in the family, or in the church. Because God has spoken. He has designed his world to function in a certain way, and it is for our good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that our Father in heaven has purposed you specifically to work in a certain way to advance his kingdom? So, I hope you think that Bible reading is fun. But I think Bible reading is also confusing and complicated sometimes. And um, that verse, even today, Wives, be subject to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. I think can be interpreted in different ways by different Christians. And so we're going to try to just quickly move through that and hopefully inspire you to further reflection and conversation. I, 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 I was born and raised in Canadian Baptist land, First Baptist Lethbridge, carried to church in the womb. And um, I don't know if you know this, but... Uh, Canadian Baptists have been ordaining women and affirming women as equal partners in ministry since the 1950s. 
And that's actually in the 50s what split us off into Fellowship Baptists. Uh, Canadian Baptists and Fellowship Baptists, I don't know what they were called at the time. Maybe Union Baptists? Uh, up until the 50s, they were living happily ever after as Baptists in Canada. But then the Canadian Baptists decided to affirm and ordain women in ministry. And the Fellowship Baptists said, we will have none of that. And so that was the great split of the 50s. So you have Canadian Baptists who... Uh, I, I think live in maybe the broader middle and fellowship Baptists that are a little to the right and North American Baptists to the right and General Conference Baptists a bit to the right and Southern Baptists. <laughs> so I grew up in Canadian Baptist land. But I've been to the other side. Because in my mid-twenties, I went to seminary in California and unbeknownst to me, I landed in this world of a more conservative California Christian culture than what I'd grown up in. And I learned the ways of complementarianism. So there's egalitarians and there's complementarians. And, and complement is C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T. And if you think about uh, junior high math, remember the 90 degree angle? And if 70 degrees of that 90 degree angle were taken up with one angle, what was the complementary angle? It was 20 degrees because that complement fulfilled the whole. Hmm. And so um, a complementarian, and if you go to a website like the Mission of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, they would say things like, the, there's teachings in the Bible that talk about the complementary differences between men and women. These teachings are essential for obedience to Scripture and for the health of the family and the church. They would go on to say the Bible clearly teaches that men and women are equal in value and dignity and have distinct and complementary roles in the home and the church. If churches disregard these teachings and accommodate to the culture, then the members of those churches and subsequent generations will be less likely to submit to God's word in other difficult matters as well. So I lived in this complementary culture for about four years and uh, was working in a church as a youth pastor. And I remember at a certain point, I started thinking about the lack of women I ever saw serving or teaching or leading or influencing our little church. It was a church of about 120 people. So I asked my senior minister one day, I said, what about the women? How do they lead and influence in our church? And he looked at me and said, well, at our monthly elder meetings, if there's a decision or an issue or an agenda item that we think is important enough for women to chime in on, then the elders are encouraged to go home and talk to their wives, and if they deem it important, their feedback, we bring it back to the next meeting. All my Canadian Baptist bells were ringing <laughs> in, in fear and trembling, because I'd grown up in church where there were women ministers, uh, women chairs of the boards, women moderators, women vice moderators, women leaders. And thus began my journey back to Canada. <laughs> it 
truly, it was part of what was kind of this wake-up call of, oh, I guess there are different Christians in the world that see governance and leadership differently, and maybe I ought to find a place that actually resonates better with this minister or this Christian that I am and becoming. So, still, we, of course, you see I'm playing my cards a bit, we Canadian Baptists who are, for the most part, egalitarian, uh, some of our churches are not, but how can we say we are biblical then? How do we answer those who say, are you really submitting to God's word? And so I want to quickly walk us through four ideas that I hope will help us understand how we might read our scriptures as a local church and as a denomination. So, first it's about context. What was Paul really seeking to accomplish in 60 CE when he wrote these letters to the churches? Was he hoping to encourage these churches to keep women under the thumbs of the men in those churches? And if you've been around here for the past few weeks, we've been talking about Galatians and Colossians as being letters that Paul's saying, freedom! It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, there's no longer slave or free or Jew or Greek or male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So it's about context. And this context then leads to a second point, the big story. Whenever you're reading Paul's letters or a certain part of the Word of God and you feel like it's hemming you in, or maybe hemming one of the genders in, we need to step back and take a look at the bigger picture of what's going on. And in Paul's letter, this might help you reread Paul's letters in new and wonderful ways. Because sometimes we read Paul and we go, wow, Paul, you're pretty uh, anti-woman there, or you're pretty anti-Jew there. Like, wh- why would you do that? But taking back a step or two and remembering that the bigger picture is that Paul was always talking about emancipation, freedom, new creation will help us maybe wrestle with those tighter texts. Because Paul repeats and repeats time after time, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. The third piece that I want to say is a word called hermeneutics. You know that Greek uh, myth god Hermes Uh, He's a god of a lot of things, but he's also a god of how we interpret language and written and spoken word. And so hermeneutics is a fancy word basically for how do we interpret the Bible. And Christians have different hermeneutical approaches, depending on background and denomination and culture And to keep it somewhat simple, more conservative Christians have a hermeneutic of the plain reading of the text. If God said it, that settles it, I believe it. Kind of an approach to scripture. It's it's the plain reading of the text. It's clear, it's consistent, and that's how it is. Whereas those who maybe read the text or have a broader hermeneutic, um, Canadian Baptists would be included in that, we historically read the text 
taking into account context, like I said, and genre and occasion and purpose and literary style. And, and so in that way, we read a verse like 318 that says, women, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And we say, well, yes, maybe in that context, Paul was affirming kind of the Christian household codes of his culture. Yes, but we often say, yes, but. And our yes, but in in this, in this context, with verse 18, would be, yes, Paul, you're affirming household code, but we know that in the bigger picture, you weren't seeking to hem women in or put them in their place because we know that your bigger storyline is freedom, emancipation. It's hope and well-being and freedom in Christ, not domination or subjugation. And we've been talking about this book uh, over the past couple of weeks, Colossians Remixed, by a couple Canadian theologians, Walsh and Kiesmat. And I want to read their imagination and um, creative understanding of this text in Colossians 3. And uh, I really appreciate that, this book because it's scholarly, but it's also they. They, they do kind of a storytelling approach to Colossians that helps you kind of be in the story of what it would have been to be in those churches in that first century. And so in, as they reflect on Colossians 3, they talk about um, a woman called Nympha who's um, named in Colossians 4.18 as a house church leader. And so they say, if Nympha was listening to the letter in Colossians 3 she might have interpreted it like this. Fellow believers, you know that when we became a part of this Christian community, we gave up allegiances to other gods and other systems of power. We all became part of a new household, which does not support hierarchical structures, but in which we exist for the mutual benefit of each other. You all experience the coming of the Spirit, Promised to both old and young, male and female, sons, daughters, slaves, and free. And you know how Paul's teachings have challenged the very basis of our society by contradicting Roman rule and edict. And he urged us to choose a free life. We are subject to Jesus, not Caesar. And we are citizens of the kingdom of the beloved Son not the empire. This is a great reading and understanding of these letters that hopefully broadens our imagination and our hermeneutic as well. So, I've talked about context and big picture and hermeneutics. The last point I'll make is simply this. Jesus. Rachel Held Evans, uh, um, a, a young imaginative blogger and Christian leader and writer who recently passed away, I had this famous quote where she says, I'm a feminist because of Jesus. She says, people think I must have gone to school and studied feminism and went through women's studies courses, but I tell people I'm a feminist because of Jesus. He treated women with incredible respect. I love that phrase. Because Paul's great... And, of course, we appreciate and learn from his writings, but at the heart of Paul's writings is Jesus. 
We are not egalitarians because of Paul. We are egalitarians because of Jesus. Jesus who didn't shame women. Jesus who didn't lord power over women. Jesus who, in his resurrection, who did he appear first to? Women! Women were the bearers of the Jesus is risen message. And they took that message to a group of doubting disciple men. So when you read Paul or any letters of the New Testament, remember Jesus and be invited to new creation by the firstborn of all creation. And may we, as this local church, continue to have our hearts and our imaginations and our minds blown away by the Spirit who breathes on us, who breathes on the church worldwide saying, See, I'm making all things new. I'm turning economies and lordships upside down because there is one Lord, there's one Christ, there's one who we serve and love and believe in, and that is our risen Lord. I want to pause for three minutes, and if you have a quick quip or question... I will try to answer it on the spot. But like I said earlier, I'm hoping that talking about this text and these scriptures in such a way and maybe um, letting us know how we read our scriptures here in this local church might just spur you on to good things. But I do want to... Pause. We have a few minutes where we can, I can try to answer a question or two. Yes. Where are the men in the church? Um. Okay. Um. I've heard that comment before that that there's more women than men in the church. Um. I don't have a great answer for that. I think there's some things going on culturally where, where, where men aren't finding lots of meaning and hope in the church. But what I can say is that we as a local church are trying to be different in that and saying that men and women are equally gifted and empowered for ministry by the Spirit. And we are prayerfully and discerningly trying to make places for both men and women to serve. Other reflections or questions? Yes. Right, yes. The, the slavery is, is a great other cultural um, point to reflect on. And, and using those four pieces, like uh, we did with women in ministry, I think context-wise, Paul was affirming the local way of culture in first century church. But when we read his letters, we see him pushing and prodding. Even in today's second reading, this idea of slaves obeying your masters and masters treating slaves fairly would have been a radical um, admonition 
in first century culture. And, and yes, we have used those scriptures as Christians to promote slavery, which has been to our peril. And um, remembering that the bigger story, that it's about emancipation and freedom for the captives, should have liberated slaves much sooner had we been following these letters and the heart of God. Maybe one more. Yes. When you meet with leaders of other churches within the denomination, is there, I won't use the word conflict, I'm sure there is never conflict, but how, how does that play out when you meet each other and you have different views? Okay, I'll just repeat a bit of that. When, when different perspectives meet in our denomination as leaders and ministers and council leaders, how does that work out? Um, we try as Canadian Baptists to say that we live in that broader middle where we're hoping that as we focus on Jesus as Lord, that even those who lean right and those who lean left, maybe we can agree to disagree on some more outside topics, which I'm I mean, for us, we wouldn't think that men and women in ministry is an outside topic. That's the heart of our ministry. But for those churches that might be a little more conservative, um, we would say, well, let's agree to disagree. We do agree on the heart of the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord and uh, Trinitarian ideas. And so that's how we try to get along. It doesn't always work. <laughs> but we try to get along. And, and that's, I think, what happens in any denomination or any local church. You recognize that the fabric and culture of that church has a certain width. Some people call it like, how big are the tent pegs in this particular church or in this particular denomination? And I think every church and denomination um, has to discern that with integrity and wisdom. And so we're doing that as a local church. Our denomination is doing that. And at some point, the tent pegs only stretch so far, and so then people or churches make decisions to find other tents that maybe are a better fit for them. Okay, I want us to bring it back to our first reading, where Paul encouraged us, and like Don was teaching the children, to clothe ourselves, to walk in the way, to give love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And might we pray that in the midst of theological banter and reflection and conversation that we might be a place where we sometimes agree to disagree. But we recognize that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is here and that Jesus is ministering to us and through us in community. Let's give thanks to God as we pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we might all continue to live and model the way of Christ. This dream and reign of God with lifestyles and daily habits that engender the virtues of compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, gratitude, wisdom, and worship. And then whatever we do, in word or deed, 
It will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.